to the Holistic Health Show. I'm Dr. Carl O'Helvey, your host. My guest today, Lainey Dolphin, came to her work on dream interpretation 45 years ago after entering Freudian psychoanalysis in which dreams were used as the key to unraveling the psyche. She then enrolled in the Gestalt Counseling and Training Center Certification Program and later studied dreams with Dr. Leo Gold of the Alfred Adler Institute in New York. She is a member of the Young Society of Montreal and is an active member at the International Association for the Study of Dreams. In 1997, Dolphin founded the Dream Interpretation Center in Montreal, where she has been providing guidance to individuals and professional colleagues on dream analysis through private phone consultation or Skype and workshops. Dolphin has appeared on more than 150 radio shows across North America, including her hometown, CJAD, in Montreal. She has been featured on numerous TV networks, including NBC, ABC, Fox, CTV, and City TV, and also writes articles for magazines, both online and print. Besides her blog, you can find many of her articles, dreams, and stories at haveagreatdream.com. Her URL, haveagreatdream.com, offers a free dream analysis mini-course and free sessions to dreamers who are willing to participate with her in a dreaminar on YouTube. Her books include A Great Dream Book One, The Overview, Recording Your Dreams to Discover Your Full Potential, and its companion work, Have a Great Dream Book Two, A Deeper Discussion. I welcome you to the Holistic Health Show, Lainey, and I look forward to learning more about dreams. Now first, what do you think is the most important thing we can learn about dreams? I think the most important thing for me that most people unfortunately don't realize is that the dream is the conversation you're having with yourself about a very specific current issue in your life that you are attempting to problem solve. And the unbelievable news I have is that not only are we problem solving in our dreams, but the solution to the issue appears in your unconscious, of course, before it gets to your conscious mind. If only you can understand what the heck you're trying to say to yourself. And that's where I come in. I teach uh, you methods to uncover what situation in your life triggered this morning's dream. Interesting, because I always thought that dreams were God speaking with us. And so I well, guess I think in you some sound, way I think that mm-hmm. that's I think that that's true. Some people say God, some people say your higher self. Oh, but okay. you, you know, you still we still um make decisions about if we want to stay in this relationship, if we want to quit our job, if we mm-hmm. want to, you know, express ourselves to somebody who hurt hurt us. So we decide what we want to do about something, mm-hmm. and um, I and I do believe that it is uh, your higher self mm-hmm. that makes those best decisions for you. Mm-hmm. Great. Then, Lainey, in both your books, you refer to what you term point of entry that you use to help a dreamer decode what they had that dream. Can you tell us about point of entry? Yes. Um, I call them points of entry because for me, dream analysis, um, and I'm, I specifically, like my niche is the language of metaphor. That's what I do. So I am a spiritual person, but 
That's not what I'm doing mm-hmm. when I'm working with clients. I'm specifically helping them uncover the puzzle. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the reason I call them points of entry, because when you do a puzzle, you try one piece and that doesn't fit and you take it out and try another. And that's why I call these points of entry, they're kind of like puzzle pieces. And I'll just tell them quickly, but I love to give you examples. Like the feelings, for example, and it's this dense about inside the dream, outside, inside, outside. So I'll ask the dreamer, how did you feel in the dream? And one man was dreaming that his wife was cheating on him. He'd been married for 25 years. And uh, I asked him, how did you feel in the dream? And the most prevalent feeling was betrayal. And he was able to attach the dream to the current issue when... When I asked him, what do you think is going on in your life this week that's making you feel betrayed? And the dream had nothing to do with his wife. Mm -hmm. He used her as a metaphor for a client that he also had for 25 years, Mm -hmm. who he found out took his business somewhere else. And that made him feel betrayed. And as for recognizing a solution in a matter when your unconscious is giving it to you, one of the things that I do is sometimes I'll look at the action and ask the dreamer, if that event happened in your waking life, how would you respond? Because in the dream, he's watching his wife cheat on him and he's just standing there looking at her. Mm-hmm. He's not he's not responding at all. And so I asked him, if that happened in your waking life and you actually caught your wife cheating, would you be standing there looking at her? Is mm-hmm. that what you would be doing? And he's like, no, I'd be speaking <laughs> up. I'd be yelling. I'd be upset. And so his response in the dream is um, it's giving him a look at his underreaction to in his waking life. And the dream is there like Alfred Adler would have said, the dream gives rise to an emotion that helps move you forward towards the goal. And in this case, it was to speak up. It Mm -hmm. was to call the client, Mm -hmm. express yourself, find out what's, uh, why did he take his business somewhere else and see if you could work it out. And Mm -hmm. that's what the dreamer did. Mm-hmm. So um, so that's like an example of a feelings point of entry and the action point of entry, because we're not always in touch with our feelings. Right. And so you may not be able to catch your dream like that. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's the action. And a good example of that is when I hear somebody say, I was trying to run, but my feet wouldn't move, mm-hmm. which will make me want to ask the dreamer, what do you think is going on in your life this week? What situation um, that are you may be trying to run away from, and is the dream giving you a message to, or a rehearsal to stand still mm-hmm. and uh, deal with whatever it is that's going on? Mm-hmm. Okay. And so it gives the dreamer an opportunity to evaluate is the situation in their waking life something that they really do want to be running away from um, and they're and they're having trouble and it's a matter of you need to express yourself to say I don't want to be involved or is it something that you do need to be present for even though you're trying to run away. So, you know, the dreams begin the discussion and that's what I love about about dreams is that the uh, the uh, original dream is you having the discussion with yourself and hopefully your higher self is um, encouraging you to talk about the dream in your waking life because as soon as you're doing that, I call that brainstorming where you're already talking about the situation, you're getting feedback from people, you're getting ideas from other people, and that helps you move along your process about problem solving. Mm-hmm. Great. And do you have a favorite dream you have analyzed? I guess uh, my favorite dream appears in my second book. It's called The Picnic Dream, where a woman is describing that she's at a picnic and it's sunny and beautiful outside. And there's a few ants around, but they're not bothering. They're not disturbing the picnic. And suddenly it turns into an absolute horde of ants. They're everywhere. And she wakes up while she's trying to push them away with her hands. So the first thing that I noticed when I heard that dream was how 
inappropriate because for me, Carl, Mm -hmm. there's no good or bad. There's no right or wrong because there's just, for me, it's much more a case of appropriate or inappropriate. Is the dreamer's response to the given current situation appropriate? Is it going to help them get what they, what they need? Um, and so that, and that to me is much more what the discussion is about. But I'm looking at a woman who's saying that she's trying to get rid of a horde of ants by pushing them away with her hands. And I already know you cannot get rid of a horde of ants like that. But first we want to know why she had the dream. And so I asked her using a symbol's point of entry, can you tell me if I was a little girl and I never heard of a picnic before, can you describe what a picnic is? And she said it's when you eat outside of the house on a blanket. And it's usually, hopefully, sunny and warm and very relaxing. And so when I asked her about food, she said that food is sustenance. And just to make it short for podcasts, I'll tell you that the situation that triggered the dream was the fact that she was having an affair. She was getting her sustenance outside of the house on a blanket. Mm -hmm. You see, the metaphors that she used and how precisely they fit the situation. And so there's a um a change in the in the in the feelings there's an escalation mm-hmm. because it starts out as fun the dream and it escalates into a feeling of panic when she's waking up and my question was what do you think happened that changed your situation from such a happy one into why did it escalate to a, a place where you're out of control and it's because her her lover moved out of town Mm -hmm. an hour and a half away. So if she wants to continue seeing him, she'll have to drive an hour and a half away, spend probably about an hour and a half or two hours to be with him, and then an hour and a half to get back to where she lives in enough time to pick up the children at school. Mm -hmm. And so the situation is out of control. So the small ants at the beginning, she explains, are her kids, his kids, his wife, her husband. Mm -hmm. But it escalates because now the situation's completely out of control. And what I said to her was, maybe you want to get out the raid. And that is an example of Carl Jung's active imagination. Because dreaming is just thinking. We are thinking. We are problem solving. And we... We, you know, giving uh, the dreamer another idea via a new picture like RAID, because if you want to buy RAID, which is the successful way about getting rid of a horde of ants, Mm -hmm. you would have to take action. And once you're taking action, you are in control. You have taken control. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that was the reason why I suggested RAID, Mm -hmm. because Maybe it gives the dreamer an opportunity, instead of feeling so out of control, to take some control back in her life. Because after all, we all can, we all have the power to make decisions. Right. All of us. Mm -hmm. And she called me a few days later to tell me she got out the raid and ended the affair. (laughs) Good. Isn't that great? Yeah, it is. That's a favorite of mine. Mm Mm-hmm. And Lainey, how do you know when you've arrived at the correct interpretation of a dream? It's the dreamer. It it has absolutely nothing to do with me <laughs> because we are all so, uh, even though I absolutely adore Carl Jung and his ideas, And uh, but even Carl Jung said, if the images don't resonate with the dreamer, they're not worth anything. They need, everything needs to resonate with the dreamer because that's who had the dream and that's where, that's who the dream belongs to. Mm-hmm. And so I can adopt a dream and give the dreamer my projections, but my projections are based on my own life experience. And so you cannot tell a dreamer what their dream is about. It's the dreamer who tells me what the dream is about. And that's when I know. And anyway, you can see it on the dreamer's face. It's Mm -hmm. wonderful. Mm -hmm. When the dreamer connects to the dream, there's nothing like it for me. Mm Mm-hmm. And do you follow a step-by-step process when it comes to finding a solution for a dream? 
Yes, I I do. And so one is a direct solution. I call it a direct solution. And those are like Elias Howe, who invented the sewing machine and dreamt that he was captured. He couldn't figure out what to do with a needle. He was almost there. And he dreamt uh, about that he was captured by cannibals who stuck him in a pot of boiling water. And every time he tried to get out of the water in the dream, they were poking him back in with their spears. And he looked down in the dream and realized that there was a hole at the tip of every spear. And when he woke up in the morning, he realized the hole doesn't belong at the top of the needle. It belongs at the bottom, like it was in the dream on the spears and the sewing machine was invented. So that's an example of a direct solution Mm -hmm. when you just get it and there's no question about what the solution is. Mm -hmm. And another favorite I use is to take the dream outside into waking life and see if the dreamer's response is appropriate. Mm-hmm. And would they behave that way? Similar to the example I gave you about the man and his cheating wife, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that in the dream he's doing nothing, but in waking life with the client, he was also doing nothing, but the dream was trying to give him the emotion that he needed to pick up the phone and call the client to speak up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Another uh, favorite of mine is polarities, because if you're all the way over on one side of an issue, like uh, years ago, I remember I had an argument with uh, my husband, more he had an argument with me, and um, he raised his voice at me, and I, being over-exercised in the part of my psyche or my personality that knows how to speak up, because I learned that that was dis respectful when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so it's an under-exercised, shadowy part of myself. And I did not speak up for myself while he was raising his voice at me. And that night, um, I went to sleep and I dreamt about an aunt of mine who had already been dead for 15 years. But asking myself, using the symbol's point of entry, very quickly, what are the first two or three things that come to my mind when I think about that aunt? And right away, and even today, and it's like um, 20, 20, six years later, because that happened when I was around 40 and I'm 66 today. Mm-hmm. But I, I asked myself, what comes to my mind when I think about her? And I could tell you, she had the biggest mouth of anybody I ever met. <laughs> she was the most assertive person. Mm-hmm. And so because my shadow had taken over and I'm standing there saying nothing, I don't have to be standing there shaking in my boots like I'm seven years old and he's my dad, mm-hmm. when really I I'm 40 and he's my equal. And so I dreamt about that aunt because that is the assertive aspect, the assertive sleeping aspect of my personality. And she appears in the dream because it's a polarity. My unconscious wants me to access that ability that I have and exercise it. And because I understood the nature of the dream, the next morning I woke up and I just said, you know, I'm not going to turn into uh, like her overnight, but mm-hmm. change is certainly possible. Mm-hmm. And the next morning, I woke up and said to Andy, I, "I'm not that. I'm not comfortable when you raise your voice at me. Could you please not do that? It makes me feel like I'm seven and I'm with my dad." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now here we are, 26 years later, and I have been exercising that sleeping part of myself. For 26 years, and I can tell you, it's been long after 20 years that Andy has never raised his voice to me. Great. Because once you change, the people around you change. (laughs) Great. Yeah, I found that with the spiritual realm also, that if you start praying for someone that you don't like, they seem to change, but it's really you change, and then as a result of your changing, they change. Absolutely. I believe in that. And I always say, I'm not here to tell you that change is easy. I'm here to tell you that change is possible. And it becomes like I use uh, Freud, Jung, Adler, and Pearls in the analysis of dreams. Those are really the four fathers of psychology that I use. But, you, you know, you can start 
you can start exercising these different parts of yourself and take it all back. Because like on a deeper level, I like to say that we come into the world whole. We have a plethora of potential. We could be selfish or giving. We can be shy or assertive. We can be an initiator or we can be always on the receiving end of things. Maybe you were the comedian in the family. Maybe you're more serious. But the people that bring us up teach us that it's better to be one way than another way. And so that's how we become over-exercised in some aspects of our personality and under-exercised in others, which is what Jung would have called your shadows. Mm-hmm. And Freud would have called your over-invested side, your over-exercised, your habitual responses to life situation. And so, in I don't even golf, but in one of the books at the end, I call it playing a different game on the back nine, because mm-hmm. the first 40 years I did it the way my parents told me it's supposed to be. And for the next 40 years, I want to take all those parts of myself back because life throws you so many different uh, situations, you know? Right, right. And you want to be, you don't want to have only the one knee-jerk reaction to situations over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. How boring. Right, right. And Lainey, can you then give us a few examples of a deeper perspective on a dream? Um, Well, I guess uh, once I started talking about uh, a deeper perspective, um, once I started talking about uh, the house that I grew up in, I'll just Mm -hmm. use myself as an example, because if I analyze um, a dream and I realize that it attaches me shaking in my boots while my husband is raising his voice at me, then if I analyze the dream and I realize it's that situation that triggered the dream, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so now I've attached the dream on the first level because at the first level, the dream is about something that either happened to you yesterday or something that you thought about yesterday. Mm -hmm. So it's something in your current life. But if I want to look deeper, I can ask myself using Freud's free association, I can ask myself, where in my life did I feel like this before? Where does this feeling come from? How does it originate? And the first thing that's going to come to my mind about feeling intimidated, and it's funny because my father, rest his soul, was the most wonderful guy. He would take the shirt off his back for you, but he had such a bad temper, and um, not in not in a physical way, but in a yelling way. And uh, and he was uh, a European, and so in my house it was considered very disrespectful to speak up for yourself. I couldn't look at my father and say, excuse me, I don't like how you're talking to me. (laughs) Because I would have landed up in my bedroom. That was considered disrespectful. Mm -hmm. And so if I can link my feelings of fear and anxiety in my argument with Andrew today to where it really belongs, which is to my dad and how I felt back then. I used to have a teacher years ago, and she used to say, you want to get out all the garbage cans, line them up, and make sure you're throwing the trash into the right garbage. I love that image because Mm -hmm. I don't need to be afraid of Andy. I didn't need to be afraid of him even 40 years ago because he's an absolute darling, my husband, Mm -hmm. and he's also would take the shirt off his back for you. So, and he also has a temper. So I married a man like my dad, Mm -hmm. but my fear and my response, I can access it by going into the past and finding out where does my knee-jerk reaction come from? Because then I pull my response away from my husband in my current situation if I realize that it's not appropriate. It doesn't belong to him. It belongs to the past. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then, Lainey, why do we have nightmares? Well, um, we are self-regulating organisms. And so, it's, uh, so, you know, so I liken it to um, go, having to go to the washroom. You can hold it in, hold it in, hold it in. And at a certain point, it has to come out because we can't just go one way on things. There needs to be a balance. And we are like that physiologically, and we are also like that psychologically. And so 
It works like that with your feelings. And if you have feelings about something, the problem is that um, I call this welcome to the human race because we are our conscious in our conscious life. We are adept at lying, avoiding, sweeping. Like this is what we do. It's part of the human condition. But your unconscious never lies to you. And so if you've got some feelings about something, you can hide them, hide them, hide them, hold it in, hold it in, hold it in. But you, your dream is going to take care of letting it out. And that's the nightmare. The nightmare is the overreaction to your waking life underreaction. Mm-hmm. So I want to add that a nightmare is a very, very healthy thing because it achieves, it accomplishes two things immediately. One is that it creates the balance from what you've been holding in and it lets it out. So it creates a bit of an emotional balance and it's also your healthy unconscious succeeding in grabbing your attention, which is what it wants to do. It wants you to talk about it because once you talk about it, as I said earlier, now you're going to be brainstorming. Mm -hmm. And why do we have recurring dreams? Well, a recurring dream is uh, if you if you say to me, I've had that dream 10 times in the last three weeks, that to me is the same thing as a nightmare. That's your unconscious being successful at grabbing your attention, which Mm -hmm. is what it wants to do. But if you say to me that you've had this image, you know, since you're like, 15 years old or since you're 10 years old, if you have um, a certain image that repeats itself over many years, then I would say that's not like a nightmare. That to me is a favorite expression. And if we can understand what you're saying to yourself when you make, when you have that picture, then you'll understand and probably you won't even have that image ever again. Uh, but for example, my favorite expression is, oh, darn it, mm-hmm. which really it's not. <laughs> 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 but I could have said, oh, darn it, when I was 16 years old because I missed the bus. And I could have said, oh, darn it, 25 years ago mm-hmm. because I walked by my desk and I brushed papers all over the floor. And I could have said, oh, darn it, this morning... When I called you and I was supposed to be waiting for your call, so I'm still saying, oh, darn it, oh, darn it, oh, darn it, but it's over a period of 66 years and the situations are completely different. Mm -hmm. And that's why you want to uncover, and you can do it with points of entry as well to find out what that image means to you. It's funny, I just looked down at my desk and I saw a point of entry that we didn't even talk about that is my favorite. If you'd like, I can talk about that. Okay. And that's play on words and puns, because we use that all the time in our waking life. And we also use play on words and puns in our dreams constantly. So there's a... A woman I know, for example, who was dreaming, and she said, in describing her dream, she said, there were snakes all over the floor. I couldn't put my foot down. And my question was, who are you having trouble putting your foot down with? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or the man who dreams that his hand is down the garburator in his kitchen and he's feeling around watermelon rind and it turned out that he used that image because he was feeling in the pits Mm. Mm. Mm -hmm. or sometimes you'll hear a dreamer say uh, uh, that they were trying to go to the washroom and they got caught and they found a bathroom but they got into the stall and they couldn't get out of the stall (laughs) which will make me ask what do you think is happening what situation are you are you procrastinating in, or are you stalled? What are you stalled in? Mm-hmm. Great. Then, Lainey, I have dreams about people who have died. Why do I have those dreams? Well, those dreams, I, I, I just um, kind of gave you an example of a dream like that, where I used my aunt, who I associated with as a very assertive personality, and that, and she represented that part of me that has the potential to be assertive, mm-hmm. uh, but it's not really a part that I recognized in myself at that time. And so I used her as a metaphor to represent that part of me. Mm-hmm. 
And that's kind of what we do, that I was talking about all these different parts of ourselves that we come into the world with. And, the you know, usually the dreamer will take the part of the dream that you feel the most comfortable with and you give out all the other parts of yourself to different people and even places and sometimes things. Like I know somebody who dreams about New York when he's trying to make a, to tell himself how busy he is. Mm -hmm. He uses a city to make a comment on him about himself. Mm -hmm. And so if I dream about my father, he represents that male business side of myself. And I might dream about him just before I go on a business trip mm -hmm. uh, because I'm going away from my maternal side as might be represented by my mom because she was a stay-at-home mom. But if I'm about to go away from the kids and the grandchildren, maybe I'm going to dream about my father because I need to access that part of myself that helps me get on the plane. Mm -hmm. But how do you and I know that my father is not also visiting me? Right. We right, don't. Right. And I bet he is. I mm -hmm. bet that all of it is true. I wondered about but, that. Right. Right. Yes, and I know I know that you um you know uh, realized that you had an illness and you found out about a dream mm -hmm. and probably way back then if I knew you and we were talking about it I'll bet you 10 bucks we would have been able to attach that dream also to a current situation in your life that you were attempting to problem solve because I think that we're multitasking mm -hmm. and I think that we are spiritual and I think that we're capable of ESP. And I think that we're problem solving. I think all of it is going on at the same time and that our unconscious is vastly sophisticated. Mm -hmm. That's what I think. I do too. Yeah. And then a lot of people dream they're falling. What do these symbols mean? Well, I'm always, uh, you know, another point of entry is the plot. And I, I love the plot because that's the place where I'll, you know, if somebody says that they're falling, I'm going to ask questions uh, surrounding the plot. Like, were you falling and you couldn't uh, and you had like no control? Or did you start by falling and then you turned out flying? Like, so what? What's the story? How mm -hmm. how did it happen? And I always want to look at the story of the dream to help the dreamer connect it to a current situation in their life. Mm -hmm. Great. And then I haven't had the dream, but some people dream about their teeth falling out. Oh, that's a favorite of mine because it's a great example that it's a universal archetypal image because when we're six or seven, all through time, all through the human race, we lose our teeth. It's something that's the inevitable, and it's something that we have no control over. I know, but we do not dream about teeth falling out for the same situation all the time, because I know a woman who dreamt that her teeth were falling out because she knew, even though she wasn't facing it in waking life, she could smell and feel inside her bones that her relationship was about to come to an end. Mm -hmm. And she knew that it was something that was the inevitable, and it was also something that she had no control over. And so to say to herself, this is the inevitable and I have no control, she used her teeth falling out. Mm -hmm. Because it links her to that fact that we do have no control when our teeth fall out. And then I know other people that could dream about their teeth are falling out when they're going through some kind of transition. Transition. Maybe they're turning 50 or 60 or 70 or 80, and they're dreaming their teeth are falling out. And then maybe other people I've spoken to dream that their teeth are falling out because the dream is responding as a rehearsal because they have something they need to say. Mm -hmm. Something needs to come out of their mouth. Mm -hmm. And the dream is giving them a rehearsal to spit it out. Mm-hmm. So it's about words. Mm -hmm. Good. So that's why you cannot look it up in a book. You can't mm -hmm. find it in a dream dictionary. You're so much better to ask yourself those questions, and that's the reason why I wrote those books, because it's not hard to do, especially mm -hmm. if you're the dreamer, because you click on it because you 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 were just having that discussion with yourself when you woke up in the morning. <laughs> mm -hmm. So it's just a matter of reconnecting with the language that you use in your waking life 
um, as opposed to the language of metaphor that you're using while you're sleeping. I learned that you can't use the books on symbols completely. They may help, but they are individualized. For example, if some people dream about a hospital, that may indicate illness. But as a nurse, if I dreamed about the hospital, that could indicate something about work. So <laughs> there's different ways to interpret. Exactly. And maybe the hospital represents for another, for a third person, mm -hmm. maybe the hospital represents help mm -hmm. and a place mm -hmm. that you can go mm -hmm. for help and comfort. Great. Good. I like that. Then a lot of people say, well, I don't remember my dreams. Why do people forget their dreams and what can they do about it so they remember them? Well, there's a physiological reason why we don't remember because there's um, a function in the, in the frontal lobe of the brain, a memory trace that is not working at the same capacity when you're asleep as when you're awake. So there's a physiological reason why we don't remember. But if you, you know, you can, the, the best and easiest way is intention. And that also comes from Freud. If you have an intention to remember a dream and you leave paper and pen beside the bed and you can even close your eyes as you're falling asleep and try and visualize yourself reaching for the pen, you probably will remember a dream within a few days. And if that doesn't work, I love uh, Robbie Bosnack, um, who's a Jungian analyst. He talks about, uh, you know, taking your watch off and sitting in a chair, look at the face of the watch, look at the band, and then close your eyes and imagine the watch in your mind's eye, and this back and forth of opening your eyes and closing your eyes, and you can do it in um, looking around the room and checking out all the paintings and the pictures and furniture, and then close your eyes and walk around the room inside your head. That gives you, that's the facility that you need to access in order to remember a dream and maybe you you activate it and it will help you also remember a dream within a few days. Mm -hmm. One thing that I read and it seemed to help and that is that if you just jot down a few words before you step on the floor, like yes. to go to the bathroom during the night and then in the morning the whole dream will come back. But if you don't do yes. that... I love that. And not only does it come back, but sometimes it can even work backwards. Like, uh, I've had it happen to me, although I have tremendous dream recall, and I have since I'm a little girl. But um, it, it, it sometimes I'll remember just a few small things from when I woke up. Mm -hmm. And once I start writing that down, suddenly I remember what happened right before that, and then right before that, and then right before that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So I kind of get the dream backwards. Sometimes I'm dreaming something and I really like the dream and then I go to the bathroom and then I come back and I want to continue. And sometimes I can continue that dream when I fall back to sleep. Other times I can't. Is there right, any but reason I, for that? I would, I, would, um, I would propose that when you come back to bed and you fall asleep again, that even if the images have changed, you, you are continuing the dream. You are still continuing the same discussion that you've been having with yourself mm -hmm. all night. Mm -hmm. And that's another point of entry, uh, which is called repetition, because we do repeat ourselves. And I remember years ago, like 20 years ago, when I came out with my first book, and I am more accustomed to radio, uh, where I'm very comfortable. And then I was invited to be on TV in New York, mm -hmm. and I was very scared. I was scared. Mm -hmm. And uh, during the Christmas holidays, because I was supposed to go in January, uh, one night I was dreaming about a ghost. And what does that mean? It means I'm scared. And then later on in the night, I dreamt I was standing on the abyss of a cliff. And what does mm -hmm. that mean? It means I'm scared. Mm -hmm. And close to the morning... I dreamt about my grade five teacher, and what does that mean? It means I'm scared. So the dreams are different, and the images are different, but I'm still saying to myself, I'm scared, I'm scared, I'm scared, because that's how we learn. We repeat. Read it, 
write it, recite it, read it, write it, recite it. Mm -hmm. And that's how we learn. That's what we do. So you might think that your dream has changed when you go back to sleep, Mm -hmm. but you're still talking about the same darn thing until you reach a conclusion Mm -hmm. about what you want to do. You know, Lainey, it's almost like real life. Because in real life, if you don't learn the lesson the first time, you get presented another opportunity with the same (laughs) lesson to learn. You know, you keep getting that opportunity until you learn what you're supposed to learn from it. And one thing I remember, (laughs) when I lived in New York, one thing, I hated change. And it seemed like I was always moving to a different apartment. I was always having a different job, you know, and always adjusting, adjusting, adjusting until I got to the point where I thought, I've just got to get used to it. This is life. I love that example. <laughs> so you were rehearsing change. Right. And you the were dreams, getting comfortable with it. And so the dreams are doing the same thing, right? Yes, they are. They are. Yep. And Lainey, how did you come to study dream analysis? Well, as I had said earlier, I'm a person who has a fantastic dream recall. So since I was a little girl, I was always fascinated. And um, here I'm back at my dad again. It's so funny. But he was the person who would come in the middle of the night, and he never, ever said to me, oh, it's just a dream, go back to sleep. Mm -hmm. He used to sit on the bed and say, oh, wow, you had a dream, tell it to me. And so, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and then when it was time to go back to sleep, he would say to me, okay, it's time to go back to sleep. And so you're going to close your eyes and you're going to say, I'm going to have a nightmare. I'm going to have another nightmare. I'm ready for it. Bring it on. Bring it on. And Mm -hmm. so he was like, (laughs) it was, um, I I really learned to have a lot of respect for Mm -hmm. my dreams. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I was uh, 21, I had my first of four daughters who was born with Down syndrome. Mm. And not too long after, of course, I became depressed. And I ended up um, in Freudian analysis with a brilliant psychoanalyst from New York. And I used to go to the sessions. I wasn't so well able to articulate my feelings, but I'm a dreamer. And Mm -hmm. I used to arrive at the sessions with the doctor, always with a dream. So my initiation to Sigmund Freud happened because I experienced him before I studied him. And that was where I first learned that we are problem solving in our dreams. And uh, then I went on to uh, become a Gestalt counselor because somebody at the university said, wow, if you love Freud, you would love Frederick Pearl. So I went and studied how he looked at dreams. And then I studied Alfred Adler with Dr. Leo Gold out of New Jersey. And then I became a member of the C.G. Jung Society. Mm -hmm and the International Association for the Study of Dreams. So I'm very eclectic in my approach to dream analysis. And, and I have... love Edgar Casey also. Oh, love do you? Him. Great. Me too. I love him. Yeah. And do you have a couch? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't use a couch. <laughs> well, I was thinking I have a good friend in Germany who is an analyst, and he's Freudian. And he has a couch in his office, and he's in his 70s, so he's of the old school, I guess. I kind of chuckled when I first saw his office with the couch in it. And isn't so it funny, eh? Isn't it unusual? Yeah, I like especially with, and I only, only, I only do dreams. I'm not a, uh, I, I don't do anything else but but dreams. And I would want to see the face of the dreamer because that's when you know that the dreamer found their dream. And isn't it unusual for someone to remember dreams at such an early age? No, I don't it think isn't. that's so unusual, because oh, little kids are always talking about their dreams, definitely. Oh, then you have a website called Have a... My, web, my website has the same title as my two books. It's called haveagreatdream.com. That's how you can find me. And my books are both Have a Great Dream, but the first one is 
it's actually not the first one, but anyway, there's book one, which is called The Overview, and which is a very short book. It's only about 100 pages, and I'm including the pictures. And it just gives you the overview of how to uncover why you had that dream last night. And then if you're interested, in, you can uh, get Have a Great Dream, book two, A Deeper Discussion. Mm -hmm. which goes more to the areas that you and I went to today, talking about how to look deeper into the dream and get all the prizes that are there waiting for you. Mm -hmm. And who is the service for? Your, uh... The service is for anybody who uh, wants to understand why they had that dream last night and how you can actually affect uh, long-lasting change in your life. Not only solving the problem that's bothering you this week, but also learning to exercise different parts of yourself so that you ha can have a nice big grab bag of responses to people and situations mm -hmm. in your life going forward. And on your website, you mentioned Dreaminars. Can you tell us about those? Sure. Uh, well, the first, there's a couple of uh, free items that you get from going to my site. One is that you can sign up for a mini course in dream analysis where you get five emails from me over five days that have five little videos and five articles. And by the end of the five days, you'll pretty much know my method. Oh. And um, another thing is... Um, if you uh, want a free dream analysis, because of course you can book a paid uh, session with me one-on-one -on -one, but that I do by Skype or telephone. But if you want to have that experience for free, then uh, you can go to sign up. And uh, as long as you agree to come on YouTube with me live, we can do some dream analysis live on, on YouTube. And mm -hmm. there's some examples that you can see on my site if you right. click on the Dreaminar. Mm -hmm. Is there anything more you'd like to say, Lainey, about the books and about your services? And Oh, I think uh, that once you get it, if you're a person that likes mysteries and games and stuff like that, you're going to love dream analysis. And it really does help you propel your problem-solving skills. Because if you want to quit that job, you're going to quit it anyway. But maybe if you understand your dream, it, you might you might quit that job this week instead of in two months from now. Mm -hmm. And would you give us your website again? It's haveagreatdream.com. Mm -hmm. That's how you find me, haveagreatdream.com. And Lainey, do you have parting words? Well, I guess my parting words are have a great dream. <laughs> <laughs> because all dreams are great. Great. Well, I appreciate this very much, Lainey. It's been very interesting, and I will put it on both of my radio website and also my cancer website because I believe so much in dreams as a way of both diagnosing and facilitating treatment or assisting with treatment as one goes through the cancer process. So I'll put Definitely. them on both of my sites. Do you want to say anything about related to diagnosing and, and treatment of disease related to dreams? It's it's uh, not not really my no. area of mm -hmm. expertise. Uh, okay. Um, uh, because I I work more on the more on the connecting the metaphors to mm -hmm. what's going on in your life this week, and most certainly that happens sometimes. I mean, I had a dreamer who kept dreaming that his nose was bleeding, and he had cancer up there. Oh. And his dreams did not let up on him because mm -hmm. it wanted him to go to the doctor. And even though the doctor said there's nothing going on there, the dreams persisted and so did the dreamer mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. persist. Great. Good. Sometimes it takes a while to get the doctor's attention. Yes. 100%. And sometimes we're better off if we don't get his attention. <laughs> <laughs> but, You're we funny, Carl. but we won't get into that, Lainey. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Carl. It's just been a, an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Lainey, and I appreciate it very, very much. In the time left today, I would like to tell you about my latest book on preventing cancer which is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, and other bookstores, 
as well as on my cancer website, Holistic Cancer Foundation. The book titled Reducing Your Cancer Risk, A Holistic Approach, uses a public health model for the framework. In general, the framework postulates that there are multiple factors that lead to health or disease processes in our lives, and these include host factors, environmental factors, and agent disability factors. In order for disease to occur, there must be a strong disease or disabling agent, a weak host, and a favorable environment that brings them together. It is possible to intervene at various points in this process to prevent disease or move us toward a healthy phase. We focus on the period before the disease agent interacts with the host, and our interventions are directed towards strengthening the host, reducing the virulence of the agent, and making the environment less favorable for future interactions. Things one can do to reduce the impact of the environment and agent include working with electromagnetic frequency waves, ultraviolet waves, carcinogenic chemicals, and carcinogenic metals in the environment. Research on how these affect humans and ways to eliminate or reduce their effect are presented. For example, bisphenol A or BPA is an endocrine disruptor and may cause cancer of the breast and prostate. It is found in plastic water bottles, canned food lining, eating and cooking utensils, among other sources. During the summer months, when water bottles are transported in unrefrigerated trucks, the heat causes the BPA to leach into the water that you later drink. There are also things you can do to become more resistant. These include physical interventions, proper nutrition and fluids, physical activities, vitamins, minerals, herbs, and supplements, immune builders, smoking cessation, and use of sound or music. For example, research shows that eating proper nutrition reduces your cancer risk by 35%, And exercising 30 minutes a day for five days a week reduces it by 50%. Research also shows a strong body-mind-spirit interaction and the effects of mental-spiritual factors on disease. Thus, one should pay attention to forgiveness, faith, prayer, optimism, being positive, helping others, affirmations, and other activities. Research on the effect of physical, mental, spiritual behaviors and health illness are discussed in the book and what you can do with these behaviors to make the body more resistant. For example, about 50% of cancer patients have a forgiveness problem and failing to deal with this leads to chronic anxiety and a depletion of killer cells that protect against disease. Ways to deal with forgiveness problems are presented. In addition, links to interviews with over 75 experts on the topics discussed in the book are included. I thank you for joining me this week, and I hope some of the information was useful. I am Dr. Carl O'Helvey, your host. <music>